You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We have finally made it to the start of the baseball season. The New York Mets are going to have a season. And so on this edition of the Evan Roberts podcast, I have brought back the ever so popular Mets text chat. Uh, We've done a few podcasts before, so I'll reintroduce you in case you haven't heard them before. First of all, you've heard Joe talk about this guy uh, with the fantasy team name Adam Eaton. And we leave out the last part because it's very inappropriate. Uh, His name is Ryan McGee, longtime Met fan. And Fantasy Phil, who was also a part of our league, his name is he's a aren't you a doctor? So should I call you Doctor Phil uh, Ragusa? Ah, uh, doctor, progressing to a career in medicine. Oh, all right. Well, that's you know what, same thing. Congratulations on that. Thank you. <laughs> but today we talk New York Mets. Now, before we get into this season and breaking the whole thing down, uh, a little bit before we started this podcast, we were arguing on the Mets text chat because the news about Marcus Stroman just came out. Fresh news. He's got this torn calf muscle. He's going to be out for six weeks, which for a season like this is basically you're out for the year. I mean, let's be honest. And I had to hear from both of you guys about how brilliant it would be to sign Matt Harvey. And before I rip you guys to shreds, I'll give you the floor. Can you explain to everyone who's decided to download this podcast and to myself again, why signing Matt Harvey makes any sense at all? All right, so I'll, I'll I'll kick this off because I think I was a little more uh, vocal than Phil. My thing is the in-house options the Mets already have. The free agents that are on the market are either we know what they are, or they have very little percentage chance to achieve overachieve, I guess, in a sense. Where I think Harvey probably on his last leg of his baseball career in a shortened season where at max you're getting 10 to 12 starts, has a higher probability or at least possibility, I should say, of striking lightning in a bottle and giving you five, six, seven, eight quality starts. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now, let me fact check you, okay? It's like a real live political debate. Based on what? Seriously, since 2016, when you make the comment, you just throw it out there. Hey, he's got a bigger upside than whomever. Walker Lockett. Okay, I understand it's easy to make fun of Corey Oswalt and Walker Lockett. We will do that throughout the podcast. But this guy has sucked since game five of the World Series in 2015. In fact, I did some math. In the 75 starts he has made since that game, he is 19-31 and with a 5.67 ERA. Last year, when he was pitching for his baseball life, he had a 7 ERA. So based on what evidence do you have that would make you think, oh, you know, I... I could catch lightning in a bottle. Uh, well, I can get something from him. Well, there's no evidence of it, but there's, he has somewhat <laughs> of a 
a track record. He has somewhat, as Keith like to say, the back of the baseball card. He's done it before. He's been successful before. The guy went through two major injuries in three years. So, I mean, I'm not a doctor. Maybe Dr. Phil has a better insight on this of how long the recovery comes, <laughs> how long it takes for him to regain 90% of what he was, 80% what he was, but 80% of what Matt Harvey was is probably better than 100% of Corey Oswald and Walter Lockett and Paul Sewalt. I'll jump in here and say that this there's there's no uh, you know guarantee to anything, but I what I know is that I'd much rather give Matt Harvey a shot than trot out you know the Corey Oswalt and the Walker Lockets and you know whoever and the uh, Paul Seawalds of the world. These guys are the type of guys that like they'll survive anything, and we've been seeing them for long enough. Where I think Matt Har I, I'd be much more willing to see Matt Harvey for one or two starts. Than to see these like to you know reside to these guys going out there. Yeah, but look, I, I understand that Matt had some really good moments with this team. So did Al Leiter. You know, so did Doc Gooden. I mean, are we going to play that game? You know, I'd rather watch Doc Gooden try to pitch than Walker Lockett. Look, the evidence is there that Matt Harvey's done, and I get that there was a lot of really good times with Matt Harvey. You know, we had a great relationship with him. Twenty thirteen was outstanding it was incredible the all-star game how he dominated and even 2015 when he came back and and i certainly didn't think he was going to fall off a cliff like this but last year okay that's not that long ago he sucked so and i'm willing he, to give the he, guy a shot to be healthy i'll say that i'm just, willing to he, give him a shot guys this is purely emotional no, that's, that's all it oh, is. No, like, answer, that, answer, all it is. i got a question for you before yeah. if shortened season where every game matters you had to win mm -hmm. one game you have Harvey, Oswald, Seawald, or Lockett. Who who are you who would you be more comfortable with saying I'd rather hey. that guy on the mound? Or or Erasmo Ramirez. Don't forget him. Look, you're asking a very tricky question because what you're trying to get me to say It's is Harvey. It's Corey Harvey. Oswald, right? You're trying to get me to give <laughs> I'll give you the answer. It's, it's Harvey. It's not Matt Harvey. It's not. He he can't pitch anymore. Neither could those Nobody guys, but they're gonna him. they're gonna get seven to ten starts. It's they I can't pitch that, either. Though. I don't know that he can't pitch anymore. I want to see him healthy. You, I don't, he wasn't healthy when he came back. I want. I mean, are we gonna are we gonna wash him up after a year and a half of terrible uh, terrible? I get you, but then why is Diaz pitching? He was terrible last year. Why? No, 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 no. It's not a year and a half. It's 16, 17, 18, and 19. He he it's four seasons. That's that injuries. I, I want to see him. Seasons. I want to see him as healthy as I can see him. That's that's all I'll say. That's okay. all I'll give him. Here's, here's the other thing that kind of boggles my mind. I'm not trying to make a statue or build one for Jason Vargas. Jason Vargas was pretty good last year. I think we'd all admit that before the Mets decided to trade him to the Philadelphia Phillies. And he wasn't as good with the Phillies, but I don't care. I, I admit that I, I would. Go ahead. I was going to say, why don't you rush and try to get Jason Vargas instead of this love affair that's clearly over with Matt Harvey? I, I would say Vargas. I would consider Vargas over Harvey, definitely. But if we're talking the likes of Corey Oswald and Erasmo Ramirez and Matt Harvey, I'm taking Matt Harvey. Vargas Look, is the, a different story. I would consider Vargas before yeah, I consider see, Matt I, Harvey. I was still go, I was still Harvey over Vargas. I in a shortened Harvey. season, I'm I'm go, I'm shooting for the stars. I'm going like I said before, stars. lightning in a bottle. I'm going to see. Hey, if I could get him to throw out five, six, seven quality starts out of ten, that I'll take it. That's going to help my ball club. Look, you you're responding in a purely emotional way, and sometimes I do that too. So I understand it. 
I get the idea of I'd, I'd much rather put a game on because Matt Harvey is a guy I have a history with than turning on a game in which Corey Oswalt or, or Walker Lockett, who's starting the year on the injured list, by the way. I get that, but it just it just doesn't make that much baseball sense. And at the end of the day, I just want to win. But, but you know what this underscores? Here's where we can all agree after this little debate about Matt Harvey. Starting pitching depth of this baseball team is a problem. Last year, they were lucky. They were very, very lucky that they didn't need guys to step in. They essentially had, if you kind of combine Vargas and Stroman as the, the same guy, they had Vargas, they traded Vargas, they acquired Stroman, basically got all their starts from their starting pitchers. And here we are on the eve of a 60-game season. Syndergaard's done for the year, and now Stroman is essentially gone for God knows how long. And we're seeing that they just don't have a lot of starting pitching depth. It's a big problem. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And another thing that we didn't mention is that David Peterson should be this guy that we're discussing as being well, the that, yeah, rotation I, replacement. Hundred agree. If they're gonna Peterson's gonna get the starts and the innings, then roll with him or any other. I mean, I don't know who else they got in in camp right now or on the younger side. That hey, we're gonna throw him out there and see how he responds. I'm all for that. I'm saying rather than a journeyman, I'd rather give Harvey the shot. But that's okay. So. We have talked about the Lugo idea, which is the idea that Seth Lugo gets converted into a starting pitcher. This is now a long-term thing. You know, Marcus Stroman missing six weeks, probably more, that's a majority of the season. So there is no white knight coming to save the day. You know, there may be a dark, dark night. night. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> See, already, it's already making headlines. <laughs> yeah, right. You have any interest? Yes. I'll start with you, Adam Eaton, Ryan. Ryan, yeah. Adam Eaton. Yeah, I'm going to kind of do Any interest. I'm going to kind of do a Make flip. Make him a starting pitcher. I'm going to do a flip because I think the last podcast we did right before sp spring training or the end of the offseason, I was very put keep Lugo in the bullpen. Um, but I think now maybe I'm just, it's fool's gold or, or whatever. Looking at familiar, Batances being healthy, um, the little scrimmages we got. I feel a little bit more comfortable with the bullpen than maybe I should. So I think you could take Lugo out. And it might not be as damaging as, as it has been in last year or it would have been. So I think I'm a little more comfortable with doing that. Now, if you tell me Lugo's going to retain, I'd rather Lugo than the Lockets and all the guys we mentioned before. So um, based on the results I've seen so far from the bullpen and what they look like, uh, I would move Lugo to the rotation if it's a long-term injury uh, to Stroman and others. Well, uh, I can understand moving Seth Lugo to the rotation. I'm a hard no on doing it because while uh, Ryan says that like he feels more comfortable with the bullpen, that feeling of comfort is essentially based on nothing because Jerry's familia and Edwin Diaz were awful last year. We have no reason to believe that, you know, they're going to just turn it around and go back to where they were before last year. Uh, Del Matantis is coming off a major injury, so we don't know what to expect from him. So while it's nice to think that everyone seems to be doing well in spring training and uh, summer camp, whatever we're calling it, um, it's essentially not really based in in uh, anything really. So I'm I want to I want to keep I want I want to keep Lugo in the bullpen. And I mean, if we recorded this, let's say last week, my idea would have been to say. I'm excited to see Robert Gazelman try to get a chance here in the rotation right. now because yeah. for years now I've always thought that he will, like he has good stuff. He throws he throws a hard sinker, he throws a hard slider, he's a, he's athletic. He's still fairly young. I think he's only like 24, 25 years old. He came up when he was young. 
And I was excited to see what somebody like Jeremy Hefner could do with him. Um, but now uh, he's got like his triceps issue issue. And uh, they did say that he should be on schedule to come back within like the first week or so of the season. If that happens, who knows? But that's a guy that I, I'd like to keep my eye on to see if he maybe fills in the rotation and see what he can do. Yep. Because we saw him in 2016, both him and Lugo step into the rotation and pretty much keep that team afloat. So with, with a guy like Gazelman, I think the talent is there, but obviously you have to see him healthy. And I want to see what uh, somebody like Hefner with all his analytics the and problem, everything can do with him. The problem with Gazelman right now is the fact that he's hurt and it's a shortened season. So how and when could you even ramp him up to make him a starting right. pitcher? So right. I think it's that, become unrealistic. Now, it is totally fine because circumstances change to change your view on this. I have been, just like you, a complete hard no on Seth Lugo entering the rotation. In fact, we're recording this on a Wednesday night. Wednesday afternoon when Joe and I were talking about the possibility of Stroman missing some time, I was still a hard no. But I didn't know the details. I didn't know what the injury was. Things are changing. Knowing Marcus Stroman is out for six weeks, it's it's now a different situation. Syndergaard's not walking through that door, and Stroman's not walking through that door. So you've got four starters. Uh, that's it. And you know what? You can argue how much you even trust those guys, Mats, Porcello, um, and Waka, before you get to Jacob DeGrom. So here's what I would do, and I think I could sell you guys on this because I think this makes a lot of sense, what I'm about to sell you on. You may say it's taking the easy way out. I'm being smart. I am starting the year with Seth Lugo in the bullpen. I want him getting six outs. I want him getting nine outs. Hell, maybe 12 outs. Why the hell not? There is a DH. I mean, I love the DH. You got to take advantage of it. Now, in two weeks, because I've got Lugo, I'm stretching him out. I'm stretching him out to win games. I'm not screwing around. I'm not stretching him out to make us. I'm not doing jobber rules in the middle of the season. I am saying if I if it's the fifth inning and I've you know it's a close game, I'm going to set Lugo. F it. I'm going home right now. And if he's great, I'm keeping him in the game, and he's pitching four innings. I can then reevaluate things in two weeks. I've used Lugo. I've sort of stretched him out to where now, hey, maybe he can give me five, six innings as a starter. And if Ryan's right, Diaz and Familia and Wilson, if they're all pitching well, and I feel good about the back end of my bullpen now, and I've stretched Lugo out, let's go. Put him in the rotation. Why the hell not? If you're wrong... And Diaz is the same Edwin Diaz as the second half of last year. Same thing with J. Riz Familia. And there's nobody in that bullpen you could trust. And you're almost forced to keep Seth Lugo there. So I think you can almost, for the first two weeks of the season, do both. Like, almost test it out. Because I've always thought, anyway, I want to stretch Seth Lugo out. Not to be a starter, but why can't he get me an eight-out save? You don't have to worry about double switching or when his spot in the order is coming up. And we saw that last year where sometimes Seth would come in and get multiple outs and pitch multiple innings. So I got to tell you, I lean towards that idea of just let's see where we are. I'm going to use him aggressively out of the bullpen. Let's see where the fill-in is. I mean, that's obvious. Like, let's say Peterson fills in is pitching great. Well, then, okay, cool. I'm just going to stay with what I'm doing. If the back of my bullpen is great, I can say, boy, I can be more liberal now with moving Seth. So that's how I think I would handle it with Seth. What do you think? I like that. I mean, I have no no issues with that, stretching him out and kind of playing uh, the hot hand in a, in a sense. If uh, the bullpen's hot, then you could move him around. If they're not, then he and he's doing his job out of the bullpen, you keep him the close games. So I'm on board with that. Sign me up. I'm also – My issue is really- – Go ahead. 
my issue really is like, are you comfortable if the, if you're doing that? Are you essentially comfortable with using Lugo once a week? Because that might what be what it comes down to. It, you know, and that was an issue they faced last year, right? That if you're asking a guy to get nine, 10 outs, he's not going to pitch the next day. I know you got to pick your spots and that's going to be a part of what makes Luis Rojas's job difficult. You do have to pick your spots. Uh, am I doing that in a game in which I'm down five to three? No. Am I doing that in a game in which I'm up six to one? No. So I do think it's about who you're playing these divisional games are so damn important and the way the game is going on how much of my bullets i'm going to use of seth look a part of what i would love to see from this bullpen and, and including the use of seth lugo and also not declaring who my closer is is it's really going to take a lot of managing it's going to take a lot of trust of luis rojas and the truth is none of us know what kind of manager luis is going to be we've never seen a manage good or bad but i do think that that's the most effective way to manage your bullpen. I would not name Edwin Diaz the closer. I would play the matchups. I would play how guys are pitching. I would play all of that. And it, it does put a lot of pressure on the manager to make the right moves. Because anytime a guy doesn't do his job, we're all going to say the manager failed. When the truth is, he may have made the, the, the sound move. It's just guys weren't effective. And I hope that's what the Mets do. You know, Brody hinted to me two weeks ago when we had him on, it'll be closer by committee. I'm skeptical of that because we really don't see that often. I'm still skeptical that you know Luis Rojas isn't just going to say, "All right, Diaz is my ninth inning guy." But that's how I would handle the bullpen in general. Oh, he did. He did more than hint at it. He pretty much flat out said it. And if if that doesn't actually happen, that's going to be a little disappointing. The same way it's disappointing now that we better not see Robinson Cano hitting third every single day. But that's another <laughs> issue. We'll get to that. the The other thing I've noticed already, Boone's doing this. But I got to tell you, I know Boone's only managed for two years and he's got the Yankees. He really is a hell of a manager. He, he's giving you the signs that he really knows what he's doing. One of the things him and Brian Cashman are doing, they've lined up Garrett Cole every five days. doesn't matter that there's an off day. Now, that may change once Montgomery enters the rotation and Tanaka's back, but it looks like they're really going to maximize Garrett Cole. And I think you got to do it with Jake. As long as he's healthy, you know, usually... Ah, there's an off day. We're keeping our rotation intact. He'll get the extra day. It's a 60-game season, man. Maximize the amount of times Jacob DeGrom pitches. I think that's really important. I, actually, I hope they do it. I was actually going to ask that because I didn't really take a take a look at it yet. But you know how at the beginning of each season, you can normally go a couple times through without the fifth starter? I assume that's not the case now this year because it's only 60 games. It is. It's not the case for the Mets because they just don't have those off days early on. The Yankees happen right. to have one because they're opening on a Thursday. They have an off day on a Friday. So, boom, they got their off oh, day. Wow. The Mets don't have How an nice. off day yeah, for the first few weeks of the season. So, it's not really something they could do. Now, they could also do a bullpen day, uh, which <laughs> with this bullpen yeah. doesn't seem all that appealing. No, but I'm good. <laughs> I'm good on the bullpen days. Hey, if they point, do a might, might as well make it a uh, fan day and the fans come pitch. Dude, if they do a bullpen day, they may go opener Seth Lugo. So it may go back to what we were even suggesting, except not for yeah, the amount exactly. of time you want. Like two innings from Seth, three innings from Seth Lugo or something. Exactly. They they essentially need somebody to step up that we're not think you know, that we're not really seeing right now. One of these young guys that's a, you know, in camp, maybe like a Riley Gilliam. Drew Smith. Or, uh, Drew Smith is a good yeah, Drew Smith, someone like that. They need someone to kind of take a step forward or at least be somewhat of a contributor. No doubt about it. Uh, the Cano thing. 
Are you really worried that Cano is going to bat third? I know he's no. been hitting third in a lot of these yeah. inter squad games, but Rojas has said I'm <laughs> trying to get him at bats on opening That's day, Friday afternoon. Is Robbie Cano batting third? No. Yes. <laughs> I think I'm, <laughs> I'm. I think he missed. Why, why would I think not? Well, I'm just going to go off. Of, he missed. I think the first couple of days of camp. And first couple inner squads, so I think he was behind the other hitters in a sense as far as that bat. So I think they took advantage. Yeah, it was probably wasn't the best timing to do it playing the Yankees first games on TV. All eyes are going to be on the screen. Um, but I really, I'm going to take him at his word. I really truly believe it was just getting them number of bats. It wasn't so much lineup construction. If if you're managing the team, because I've given this way too much thought, mainly because we've had forever for this season to start. Give me the construction of your lineup. And I, I guess we're assuming Yoannis is the DH, JD's playing left, you know, Joe's at second, McNeil's at third, Ramos is catching. You know, the 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 probable starting lineup. I'll start with you, Phil, and how you'd line these guys up. So I'm going Jeff McNeil one, Pete Alonzo two, Michael Conforto three, Cespedes four. J.D. Davis, 5, Cano, 6, Ramos, 7, Rosario, 8, Nimmo, 9. That's my lineup. Is that really your idea, or did you just hear me say that and you copied me? <laughs> no, we, we, we have discussed we discussed this at length, and we bounced a couple of things around, but that, that, uh, that, that I think, is a very formidable lineup. There. <laughs> no, no. I, the thing is, are, are they going to drop Cano to 6? Well, I think if we go back in the Mets uh, text chain that we have, I think you suggested a different lineup, and I said this is my lineup, and now you're like, you know what? I'm all with Evan on this. Actually, I, the I, only I can't imagine mine was too far off, though. Whatever it was, I don't remember. Oh, but we're... The thing that jumps out of me is the Nimmo batting ninth thing. That's right. that's what I love. Uh, I a big fan of the the double leadoff hitter, even with the pitcher hitting. By the way, like even when. There is no DH. I've liked the idea of the pitcher hitting eighth. I've, I've really warmed up to it. It's not just the same kind of weird thing Tony LaRusso used to do 15, 20 years ago because he wanted more base runners. Mark McGuire. I think it makes a lot of sense. I hope they do that. Here's the thing about Cano. Five or six is not a big deal to me. I'm not going to freak out if it's because I'm with you on the front four. I'm going to give Yoannis a chance to, to prove he's Yoannis. If he's not, by the way, I'll drop him. But at least at the beginning, I'll let him start off that way. I don't think it's a big deal if you go Cano 5, J.D. Davis 6. Not that big of a deal, but I understand your point. If you're if they're trying to feed Cano's ego just a little bit, you're not hitting third, you're hitting fifth, it's fine. Like, I'm not against it, but the rest of that lineup I agree with. What about you, Ryan? All right, so um, mine's a little bit different. Um, I'm going to go Nimmo leading off. I think he's the prototypical leadoff hitter. He gets on base, does walks, hit by pitch, anyway on. McNeil second, Alonzo third. Cespedes fourth, Conforto fifth, Davis sixth, Cano seventh, Ramos eighth, Rosario ninth. You what you're able to do with Nimmo leading off is you're able to drop Cano further, which you, which you did very right. successfully because you want to split up. <laughs> you, you split up the lefties, but I also think Nimmo's the prototypical leadoff guy, and McNeil's the prototypical number two hitter. So I okay. think I think those are the perfect spots for them. So why not utilize the to their best abilities? Because Here's why I'm against it, because while Brandon Nimmo gets on base a ton, and if that's your definition of a prototypical leadoff hitter, that's fine. He does get on base a lot. That's really the ultimate job of a leadoff hitter. So I can't even sit here arguing with you, because I think in 2020, the idea of a leadoff hitter is very different than what it was 30 years ago. 30 years ago, it was, are you fast and can you steal a base? 
that's great, but you got to get on base. You could steal a million bases. If you can't get on base, you're useless. Billy Hamilton is a perfect example of that. But I don't want to give Brandon Nimmo more plate appearances than Jeff McNeil and Pete Alonso. He's just not good enough. Gets on base a lot. I totally give him that. He's got some pop in his bat. That's great. You would agree. Brandon Nimmo is not as good of a hitter as Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonso, Michael Conforto, Yohannes Espinosa. Would you agree with that, Ryan? Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. Why are you giving him more plate appearances over the course of a full season? I mean, yeah, just because he's in the leadoff spot, he's going to get more plate appearances, but doesn't mean that's going to be crucial spots that he's going to be up. He, if he gets, no, up, but go ahead. Go ahead. Think about this. Think about this. You go with what me and Fantasy Phil said. You're getting exactly what you want after the first inning. The first inning is over. Yeah. Brandon Nimmo is the leadoff hitter. He's hitting ahead of Jeff McNeil. He's hitting ahead of Pete Alonso, just like you suggested. It's the exact same thing. The only change I'm making is in that first inning, I'm making sure my better hitters are up. After that, everything you argue about, you got it. But He's leading off. He's the essentially the leadoff hitter. But they – but to – to go against your point, they are in the first inning, those guys are still getting up, but now is a chance they're getting up with somebody on base. And in Alonzo's case, there's a chance he's getting up with two people on base instead of one person on base. So they're still getting the same at bat in the first inning. So you're not taking like Alonzo dropping the four where now there's an inning he might lose in at bat. He might not get up in that first inning. They're still getting not, up. Not in the first inning, you may not lose that at bat. But if the last out of the game is Brandon Nimmo in the one hole, that would have been Jeff McNeil. Look, over the course of a game, a lot of things can happen. Adds up. Yeah. I, I get it, but I, I want to put my better hitters in a position in which they're going to get up faster. But That's I, just the. Uh, my, I thing? just look. I look at if you keep them in the top three of a lineup, it, it's their plate appearances, their bats are going to be pretty similar. If you drop four, five, six down that area, now you could see a bigger, bigger drastic change in plate appearances and at bats and and all that stuff. Okay. Right. Then based on your point, you are giving more plate appearances and at bats to Brandon Nimmo than you are Yoenis Cespedes or Michael Conforto. Are you yeah. not? You just based on your own uh, point. A hundred, a hundred percent, and that's not because I think Nimmo is better than him. Yeah. I think that he in that position helps the lineup flow better, and ultimately he's going to hopefully make the lineup produce more because he's going to be on base in front of their their quote unquote big hitters, their run producers. I mean, McNeil the second half of the season was hitting more home runs and RBIs than he was getting on base and and with average. So I mean, why not? If that's the kind of hitter he's going to be, now we don't know. He could go back to the first half, Jeff McNeil. Oh. And then, then that's at the point. But if he's going to be a guy that's going to drive the ball more, and that's the kind of hitter he's trying to become, then why not try to get a, get a, get a guy on base for him? And then Alonzo is Alonzo. I, yeah, I, I think that funny. I, I think that overall, we're basically arguing over how the top of the first or the bottom of the first inning looks compared <laughs> to the rest of the game. I don't think it's it's not the hill I'm going to die on. I think in general we agree which is that Robbie Cano should be towards five, six, seven area. Um, essentially, our lineups are the same, which you know I, I think makes the most sense. And it's funny, the Mets' identity is so different now. I think their identity a year ago was they've got this big-time pitching rotation, can match it up with anybody, and if they can just score a few runs, if their bullpen could be halfway decent, they can win because of their starting pitching staff. And as we go into the 2020 season, that's not the case anymore. They have one ace. They got a dominant pitcher, top of the rotation guy, put him up against anybody. After that, we're talking about Rick Porcello and Steven Matz and Michael Waka and pray for rain, basically. But 
lineup feels better than what it was a year ago. A year ago, we went into the season and we're like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, what is Jeff McNeil? What is Pete Alonso? Cespedes wasn't even a thought. We never even really talked about J.D. Davis. What was there to say about him? We didn't know what he would be. So there is, it's funny how it's really shifted now where this is more of an offensive team than a team based on their dominant starting pitching. This lineup has been the best one. I, I mean, we can definitely say for sure it's the best lineup we've seen in like 15 years, 14 years since 2006. So, I mean, like like you said, they this is the first time in a long time that they've really had an offensive team to put out there, an offensive lineup to trot out there every day. But like you said, the starting rotation is now the, the question mark. And, you know, how typical much is that? Like they can never put it just all together for whole, for one season at, at the same time. So we essentially have to hope that these veterans like Porcello and Waka can uh, find something in the tank for a year to kind of kind of push us through. By the way, I want to, you know, you just brought something up unrelated that goes back to the Lugo point. You have to think sometimes long-term, right? Long-term, the Mets have very few starting pitchers under team control. Jacob DeGrom's here forever, or at least that's the hope. Noah is coming off Tommy John next year, so you, you really can't have that high expectation. I know it's a contract year for him, but who knows when he's going to start again. And you got Steven Matz in a contract year. Porcello's a free agent. Waka's a free agent. And so Lugo becomes was really Porcello a two-year deal or one year? And one more time. Porcello was one year. Was one, year? I thought, yeah. one year, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. one-year deal. Well, about that, all right? The future of this rotation is what? A lot of questions surrounding that, and that's where the Lugo factor becomes really interesting because long-term, just talking about a 60-game season or how a team is built, would I rather have a dominant starting pitcher or a dominant reliever? My answer to that question hasn't changed over the years. I'd rather have a dominant starter. It's why when we used to have the Jabba debates, I was always, hey, if the guy can be a dominant starting pitcher, why wouldn't I try him there? I'd rather have the dominant starting pitcher than the dominant reliever. Do you agree with that simple statement even in 2020? Yeah. I so I, Go ahead, Phil. I, no, I was just going to quickly say that. Oh. I, don't know, I don't know if I'm ready to call Seth Lugo a dominant starter yet. Very, I'd say he, he definitely can be. But I've seen with my eyes him be a dominant reliever. Yeah, but wait. Well, hold on a second. I'm not calling him a dominant starter either. No, just like we didn't know what Jabba was. I'm saying if I have a choice, what would you rather have? Just because Seth has shown. Oh, okay. Really I thought we were, I thought reliever, we were no, look, the, the question was, yes, would you rather have a dominant starter than a dominant reliever? I'm not changing that question. I'm saying we don't know what Seth Lugo is. But my point is, I'd rather have the dominant starter. So long-term, not just this 60-game season, hey, the way the Mets are built. Long-term, kind of want to know what Seth Lugo is as a starting pitcher. Right. Look what your Met rotation may look like next year. If all of a sudden you feel good about Lugo and you can pencil him in, that kind of changes your philosophy going into the offseason. You say to yourself, well, I got Jake, I got Noah, I got Matt, and I got Lugo. We don't know that right now. And if it's another year out of the bullpen, in the short term, it may be a good thing. But in the long term, we don't know what, what he should be or what he would be. And I wouldn't give up on him as a starter because he's been a good reliever. I think that's a flawed mentality to have. Cardinals would have done it with Adam Wainwright. Hey, he's a great closer. He got Beltron looking. We won the World Series. Why would we make him a starter? Make him a right. starter because look at the career Adam Wainwright had. Agreed. Then, yeah. I mean, definitely a dominant starter is 
is the preferred option in that case, then yes. Yeah, I'm with you guys. Dominant starter, and I think to answer what the rotation might look like, if you look at the last two drafts Brody had, you know, I'm a, I follow college baseball a lot. They took some big college arms, and why you take college arms is because usually they have a shorter track to the to the major leagues. So the Matt Allens, and I forgot the guy's name they uh, drafted this year who just came back off of uh, Tommy John, but uh, they they took big college arms. So I would expect within two years for those guys to be chopping to get up to to the majors at, at least if not quicker um so i think you kind of foreshadow maybe a little bit brody's thinking is hey we got all these bats let's draft some arms that can maybe get up here pretty quick um the position player depth of this team you know and i was gonna make a joke about jed lowry i'm gonna decide to just ignore jed lowry let's just make believe he doesn't exist because he basically <laughs> doesn't exist uh he Dom- doesn't we don't have to pretend it, it, it's true <laughs> what do you think overall of the position player depth? Because they haven't had injuries yet, but we don't know about Cespedes. We certainly don't know about Robinson Cano getting through a full year at his age. You know, Conforto's had injuries throughout his career, even had one in spring training. Nimmo's had a lot of injuries throughout his career. Overall, and I'll start with you, Phil, your feeling on the kind of depth of this roster right now going into the year. Position player depth, I think, is is good enough to be a good team. Um, like you said, there's a lot of guys who have a little bit of a questionable medical history. And should a, a Conforto go down or a Nimmo go down, I think they're going to be in, in a little bit of trouble now because, say you got to slide Michael Conforto into center field, or do you want to see Jake Marisnik every day? Um, Dom Smith still doesn't look great in left field, and J.D. Davis also doesn't look great in left field. Um, will they make the routine plays? Probably. But if you're asking them to, you know, maybe take a hit away from somebody or, you know, make the slightly over the top catch, then, then you're kind of asking for problems. So, um, should everything stay a okay with everyone's health, knock on wood, then yes, I think they're in good shape. I, I think my answer changed probably within the last three or four hours, whatever it was before <laughs> I would have told you that I was a little worried about if something was to happen to, like you said, a Confordo or something. But I think with the Dozier sign in, I think, now Lowry's out because now I think the Mets have the ace of, in their hole. Jeff McNeil could play anywhere. So yeah. to get a veteran infielder that could still not too far off from producing. Like Gordon Beckham wasn't that guy. Gordon Beckham's a journeyman. He might have a good game or two. But Dozier's not far off, I'm pretty sure, from having a solid season two two years ago. So if someone like uh, Conforto goes down, McNeil could play right field. if And Dozier could play third base. Cano goes down, you could move McNeil over there, or Dozier is a natural second baseman. He could go there. So I think the Dozier signing puts me at ease a little bit more than if that guy was Jed Lowry getting hurt and then it was Gordon Beckham. So I think right. Brian Dozier, to me, was an, an awesome pickup and, like I said, puts me at a little bit more ease than I probably was this morning if you asked me the same question. Uh, but you hit on it about McNeil. It's a part of, you know, really how valuable he is. I mean, he's the third baseman this year. That's the plan that he's going to go out and play third base every day. And if there's no issues, that's what happens. But he is such a great insurance policy because he was halfway decent in left field. He was halfway decent in right field. We know he can play second base as well. Not that that would likely be needed. You mentioned the Dozier pickup. Neil is the Swiss Army knife, man. And I, I love it. And he showed you last year. Because we would always get these calls. You got to pick a position for him. And I'd always be like, why? Why the hell does he need a position? He has shown you 
that he could hit. He doesn't, you'll play him at third base, second base one day, right? It doesn't matter. So I love that about McNeil, but you know, you mentioned this earlier about McNeil, and I think this is going to be fascinating to watch. Which Jeff McNeil do we see? His OPS in the first half and the second half, exactly the same, exactly the same. The difference was the home runs were up in the second half and the batting average was down. So the, the overall results, if you look at OPS as a good determiner of it, and I, I do, I think it's a great stat. He was the same player in production. It was just how he got there that was different. Jeff McNeil, do you prefer? Do you prefer the guy who could hit 370, not for that much pop, or the guy whose average is going to be lowered a little bit, but maybe he could hit, you know, I'm trying to think of what numbers would be in a 60-game season. I, I can't, still can't fathom that. Like, I don't know what's a good amount of home runs in a 60-game season or something. I, I think my, my yeah, answer is like 10 home runs today. Yeah. My answer is 10 home runs a number. Yeah, I think 12, right? 10 or 12 is equivalent to 30 in a season. I think they say. Right. Um, but my, my answer is going it, to, it's contingent on two pieces, Cespedes and Cano. If they're not driving the ball and driving in runs, then we probably meet, need McNeil more to drive in runs. It, you can't just put them all on Rom at that point, Conforto and Alonso. He, he's going to have to drive in more runs. And that's where it comes to my line of construction is that you need guys like Nimmo and Rosario to get on base and be maybe up their average. I think Rosario had like a 283 average or whatever it was last year. Um, so if he even hits that, Nimmo gets on, has a 270, 280 average, but gets on base. That and McNeil's dips, but he drives, he's driving in the runs. They kind of offset each other. If Cano and Cespedes are producing runs, and then, hey, you're hitting in the two-hole Lido spot, get on base by all means. Whatever whatever it takes to get on base and let these guys drive you in and let them do their job. The one thing with the depth that we completely forgot to touch on, who's back today? Juan Lagares. And he's probably <laughs> in the best shape of his life. Like, he's been every single year for the last eight years. So now that he's back... Forget everything I said before. We're good. We are good. But I, but I will tell you, I think what's going to help him if he has to play is that he's not going to get hurt playing in minor league games. He's going to be training as part of the 60-man squad, yeah. <laughs> just staying in shape. And then, hey, if he's got to come be the fifth guy, fifth outfielder on the bench, defensive replacement, I, there's worse guys for that role. Yeah, it's, it's funny. We've done this podcast. I don't know how long we've been on, 40 minutes, whatever it is. And we haven't talked about what I think to a lot of Met fans is the lead story, and that's Cespedes. You know, the return of Yoenna Cespedes. I personally am not as confident that he's just, hey, he's motivated, like Joe says. Yeah, he's, on a, he's motivated. He wants his money. He's going to have a big year. I don't think it always works that way. You can be motivated. Doesn't mean you're going to have a big year. I'm not going nuts about the ground ball against the Yankees, the little roller he hit towards Gio Urshela. Look, when a guy gets late in their career, he doesn't have to bust it out on every play, especially in an exhibition game. I mean, why injure yourself? If it's the ninth inning and you're down by a run and the tying runs at third, then yeah, throw it out all there on the line. So I'm not getting nuts about that. I just, it's the fact that he's played one game in two years. So I don't have huge expectations for Cespedes. Uh, Phil, what do you think? Games played and production when he plays in those games. What are we looking at? Games played, I'm shooting for 45. And I'm not ready to, I mean, obviously we can't expect him to go back to, you know, 2015, you want to say, but, but I mean, if he can give you 45 games played and go out there and hit 275, 280, and just drive in runs, hit maybe like 8 to 12 home runs, I mean, I'd sign for that, I think. Ryan, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think the games played probably maybe a little bit higher than I was going to go around forty. I think just because I think they're also going to give him probably built-in off days to. I mean, Dom Smith is going to have to play, especially if he hits. So I think you know he'll be the one offsetting whether it's in left field or giving Alonzo a breather to DH. And don't forget, Ramos is probably going to get some time at DH too uh, when he needs off days. But I think my hope for Cespedes is I'm I don't have high expectations for him out of the gate. Like you said, he missed a lot of times over two years and. Game rust, ring rust, whatever you you know, whatever saying you want to say. I think he's not having a spring training is going to hurt him because he hasn't got those live at bats, in game at bats. So I, I I think out of the gate, I think we all need to be patient with him. To a sense, he's going to be he's going to look old. He's probably going to look a little rusty. Now saying this, he'll probably have the a huge first week. But I think my hope, at least, is the second half of the season, the last thirty five games, thirty games, um, he's going to turn it on a little bit and maybe. Like you said, re- resemble a 2015 a little bit down the stretch where he's that guy driving in runs. So I don't know what the numbers would equal out to because I'm not expecting much the first half. But I think this I'm hoping for and I'm thinking that he's going to have a big second half of the season. I, I've been given this thought because I've never never realized what to, like when we were leading up to the start of the year and Joe was adamant he's going to be healthy 30 and 100. Like that was always his thing 30 and 100 and he's going to play. And my answer was always, I just don't think he's going to play. That was that was my sense. Like I just I don't believe it until I see it. And I think what we we saw is that he probably wouldn't have been ready. I was say he, he he wouldn't have been. It's it would have been after the All Star break, and he's barely running now. So I don't I, think he would have without a DH too. There would be there would have been no DH if right. he started on time. Hundred. So I feel better about what I thought was going to happen in March, but you know we never got to prove it. I just I didn't think he was going to be out there. Been thinking about it the last few days. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say, you know what? The DH has had a lot of time, obviously, one game in two years. I'm going to go with Phil and say he plays 40 games. And I think that's a game amount of games that you absolutely have to sign for if you're a Met fan. 40 out of 60. Okay? That's not bad. And that's with a lot of built-in off days, maybe a nagging injury here and there. I would sign for the 40. And I'm like, okay. So now I got him playing because I didn't really have him playing back in March. So what... What's he going to be? I guess is not going to hit for a high average. His numbers are going to be down across the board. I think he's going to hit for pop where like I could see in a 40 game season, 235 OPS of like, yeah, you know, these are going to be the bad numbers. 235 OPS of like 780. I think he hits eight or nine home runs where I think we get a lot of all or nothing from him where Hey, look, eight home runs in 40 games, do the math. That's a pace for about 30 during the course of a season. So I think he, he, yeah, he'll have his moments, I guess is the way I look at it. He'll hit a bunch of home runs. I just don't think the other numbers are going to be that good. Like, I don't think he's going to hit 280. I just don't. I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to be that productive. I do think he's going to have those moments. A couple of tape measure home runs. Ah, he's back. Here he is. And so I think his power numbers will be good. His average OPS, whatever you want to, I think those are the numbers that are going to be down. But I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he plays 40 games. Now, is that good enough? I mean, do you guys kind of look at that and say, ah, that sucks. I don't want it. Or would you say, hey, it was nothing the last two years. I'll take it. Would you take that? 
I, I would t- I would take that because I, I still think, like I said before, Dom Smith needs to get at-bats. I think he's a productive enough hitter where he's going to need to get at-bats. Other guys are going to have to rotate through the DH. So if you could get 40 out of Cespedes with those other guys getting their at-bats and staying fresh and still being productive, I don't think what you're saying, we're getting out of Cespedes in those 40 games, having those guys fill in the DH spot for him, you're going to see a big difference. Speaking of Dom Smith, I agree. He needs to get his at-bats, but I just had a question. Whenever the DH is brought up, why is he automatically getting slotted into the DH? I mean, he should play Pete, first base. I, Pete, Pete, Pete had a very good year defensively. He, he did a lot better than we were led to believe. But am I am I crazy for thinking Pete should be the DH when Dom Smith plays and Dom should play first base? Right for two reasons. Two reasons. Not just the obvious, which you laid out perfectly, which is that Dom Smith is a better first baseman than Pete Alonso. Now, of Pete, and he's got this great mentality. He says, I want to win a gold glove, right? That's his, th- and I, you know what? Right, yeah. Wouldn't stun me if he does it. I remember uh, last spring training, I was down in Florida before he ever played a game, and I interviewed him in the Met dugout, and I asked him, I, I, it was probably on air, but I spoke to him off air. He was a, obviously, he's a nice guy. He's everything you see on, like, he's not a fake. He's not A-Rod. I remember asking him about who he looks up to, and he said Paul Goldschmidt, and a part of why he looked up to Paul Goldschmidt is he marveled at Goldie's defense. He said, people don't talk about Goldschmidt's defense. Worked his ass off, became this gold glove caliber player. I thought that was fascinating that here he is talking about defense before he's ever played a game in the major league, showing that that important aspect of his game. Well, I have no doubt Pete Alonso is going to turn himself into, look, maybe not a gold glover, but a better defensive first baseman. This season, in a year in which all the managers have even said, look, we got to keep guys fresh. We got to give them rest. A way to give him rest. You keep him Pete's bat in the lineup, but you're DHing him. So you're kind of doing two positive things in one. You're getting the better defensive player out there in Dom Smith, to your point. And B, why give Pete Alonso that day off that maybe you're thinking of giving him when you're giving him a half a day off? He doesn't have to play the field. So I think it works in two positive ways. How what the Mets are going to do, I have no idea. I mean, think about Luis Rojas is he really hasn't said much. So we don't really know what their plan is. But I would be with you, Phil, that. I'd rather have Dom play first base, not just because of the defense, but because of I'm almost getting kind of a, a cheap off day for Pete Alonso, keeping him fresh. Agreed. Thank you. I'm, I've got, whenever I get the silence of agreement, I know that I made <laughs> such a brilliant point. Um, before I get to the predictions on the season, Bobby Cano, all right? We, we talked about not hitting him third. That's fine. Back from him. Because there's a part of me that thinks he's actually going to have a bounce back season. Not necessarily the, the the Hall of Fame-esque Robbie Cano career that he's had. He's not going to get in because of steroids, but you know what I mean. Am I being too positive? Do you think that's going to happen with Robbie? I'll start with you, Ryan. I'm I, Same thing. Maybe we're naive or, or whatever, but I think he's going to have a productive season. I'll say. Not like you said, not an all-star caliber season, but I think he showed me enough last year, the, t- the short times he was actually healthy, he showed he could still hit. You know, he's, his timing was still there. He, he could still he could still be a productive hitter. He doesn't need to be a 3-4-5 hitter, as we said. If he's hitting 6th, 7th, like, hit your 250, 260, run into one every once in a while, hit your doubles, drive in the runs when they're there, um, and be just a productive player in the lineup. We don't You don't need to be that all-star player. So I think if he could, I, I'm confident that he could be that. He's just got to stay healthy. I think health is the biggest. If he's healthy, he, he'll hit to be productive. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think the last, like, month or so, or 50 games, whatever it was, that when he came back after, like, the hand injury and everything last year, uh, I think that's on the table. I mean, he showed he can do it. Um, that That's what I want to see. Do I expect it? No. Um, I mean, I, I, compl- I ex- kind of expect a lot of these guys, like we saw over the weekend, to come out of the gates slow. I mean, they look slow against the Yankees. Everyone looked behind. Everyone's timing looked off. And I know, Evan, you weren't worried about it because the games don't count. <laughs> but unfortunately, hitting doesn't work that way. They, these guys, I mean, unless they are just going to show up Friday, flip the switch, and then everybody's good to go, hitting just doesn't work that way. And the fact that they all look slow at the plate and they all kind of, but you still, know, they just look off. Still, listen, the only thing I know about hitting is that I, I'm not good at it, okay? But but I do know this. <laughs> I've wa- And this is what I'm basing it on. And I know that this is different than any other year. I've watched so many spring trainings, probably more spring training games than I should admit. I've seen a lot of it. And it just feels like so much, so often when opening day comes, none of anything you ever saw matters. And, and one guy that jumped out at me was Raul Abanez with the New York Yankees. Raul Abanez not hit in spring training to the point where we were saying, boy, I, I don't know if you could play him. I mean, you almost have to, to reconsider and then, boom, he turns on a switch. To the opposite side, Butch Husky. You know, Butch Husky used to, to, to own it in spring training. Season starts, it's a different story. So I know we're only talking about two games, but that's probably more of a reason why I just I can't get nuts about it. I, I get that it's about timing and you got to get ready for the season. And I do think the pitchers are going to be ahead of the hitters in general. So expect, you know, a two-to-one game on opening day with the Mets probably only giving DeGrom one run against Soroka. But... I don't know. I think it's a lot of it is just the experience of seeing so much spring training and knowing that it usually means freaking nothing. Well, as a legend would say, bro, from your lips to God's ears. <laughs> yeah, because right now, because as with a normal spring training, we don't have that luxury of coming out and like getting your feet wet and, you know, using the whole month of April to, to get ready to go. Because if they come out and they have that little bit of, slugging their step and everything for two weeks, a week and a half, they're out of time. You know, I got to tell you something. So Joe is one thing. I'm like a Joe Beningoologist because he's been my partner for 13 years. I know him very well. People say it's the biggest misconception. They say Joe is so negative. That's not true. He's negative when things suck. When things are going well, he's the opposite. It's like realism. That's what that's called. Oh, no, no. It's not realism. And I'll tell you why. We were in Indianapolis for the AFC championship game. Bro, I feel it. We're going to the Super Bowl. Was he really real? No, he was high and believe not, not that kind of high. He was very high on the idea that they were going to win. <laughs> in the following year against the Steelers, and I'll never forget the year the Knicks won the 54 games in 2013. He would come in after just another Nick went, bro, they're going to win 60 games. He could knock off LeBron. And I'd always be like, bro, the team is real good. <laughs> having a great year. I, I don't mean to rain on your parade. You're not beating LeBron and you're also not winning 60 games. I'm not saying this to knock Joe. I'm saying that he's not as negative as people think, but all off season, along with the quarantine, Joe's been positive about the Mets. You know, I feel, I, I got to tell you, bro, I feel good about this team, all that. All of a sudden on the Wednesday show, the day we're recording this podcast, the Stroman news is minor and he doesn't even like Marcus Stroman. Doesn't even think he's that good. He comes in like you could tell five minutes into the show. I'm just not feeling good about this team, bro. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell happened in the course of na- like, was it the exhibition games? Like you guys, 
what the hell was it that just he, he didn't really have an answer and sure with the stroman injury being worse again even though he doesn't even love marcus stroman as a pitcher i just feel awful about this team the long-winded story comes to this for you guys we're on the eve of this baseball season we're finally gonna get it and god knows if it's gonna be completed but for the sake of this podcast it's all gonna work all right there isn't gonna be any outbreaks of covid we're gonna have a baseball season i know they've been hit by injuries right now but yeah, I'll start with you, Ryan. Do you feel good? Are you confident? Are you like Joe now? Do you feel sick about like, well, what are you thinking as we go into the start of the year? I mean, I think even now I'm still confident they'll be competitive and they'll they'll be in the mix all season. I think the Stroman injury along with, I mean, Porcello mystery scratch today, maybe it was for Corsa, maybe not. Um, it is a little shot in the gut because it makes you realize even more how thin they actually are with, with pitching. And I, like I said before, I, I'm, I mean, it's, I feel better about the bullpen than I did, but we know how quickly that could turn uh, a week into the season. We could feel terrible about the bullpen, and it's going to be Seth Lugo for three innings like we talked about. Um, and I still am confident because I think in a shortened season, I think an offense like theirs can carry them and keep them competitive. Um, and then obviously they have DeGrom, who, you know, knock on wood, is going to be healthy. And if he's healthy, he's going to go out there and, and shove every fifth day, and he's going to – those six, seven, eight innings, and they score three runs. Chances are they're gonna they're gonna win that game. Um, so yes, I, I think even though a little shot with Stroman because of their their depth, I still think they have enough to to be competitive all season and be in the mix for both the division and a wild card. Oh, you feeling good? I'll say that they're giving me a stomach ache, but that's a good thing because they. Can't feeling of them being back baseball being back and kind of being on the edge of my seat every game that that tells me that i have expectations for this team and i think that they can actually make noise so that's a good thing in my book i mean i could just kind of just watch it because there's nothing else to watch and you know not know that they don't have a shot but i think they do have a shot um we need some oh. breaks we need to we need to stay healthy the rest of the way number one but um yeah, I'm excited. I think I think that they can do well, and and the stomach ache that I said I have is because it's I have expectations for them, and I think that they can do do some damage. You know, it's weird because we were recording this on the eve of opening day for the Yankees and the Nationals and the Dodgers and the Giants, and there's uncertainty about what the playoff format's going to be now. You know, I I did a podcast the other night. You can check it out in the archives with JJ, in which we did our MLB predictions, and we did it based on what we thought the format was going to be, which is the same format we've had since they instituted the second wildcard spot back in 2012. And now there's this possibility they're going to expand the playoffs even more. And we don't even know what the format would look like. So I, I know it's easy to make decisions based on how it affects you. I think we do that a lot in life. And we do that sometimes in sports. We know that people do that in our fantasy league. Like their opinion on rules are based on it. Would it benefit them or not? I know that more playoff teams benefits the Mets. Of course it does. The Mets are in a very difficult division. They could have a really solid year and miss the playoffs just based on how good of a schedule that they have. I, I try not to have opinions based on how it's going to affect my team. I don't like the designated hitter in the National League. I know it would help them with Robbie Cano for the next four years. Would it, though? It's not how I... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because it wouldn't clog second base. Of course it would. 
don't want the extra playoff teams this year, next year, any year. Uh, Phil, do you want the extra playoff teams? No, I don't. Uh, um, Respect that. I'm guess is, um, we know that this season is going to be crazy and kind of anything goes to get the season to, to completion, but I'm, I'm one who's, who's good with just as is with the, with the playoff format. How about you, Ryan? What do you think? You want no. more teams? Or you like it the way it is? No, I, I think we they've made enough changes to to the sport. I think they need to pump the brakes a little bit. You know, I, I think keeping the second wild card, it's competitive. Like you said, it's not a free for. I don't like. I mean, I'm a hockey fan. I don't really watch basketball too much. Um, the playoffs get watered down. The more you let in, the playoffs get watered down, and the regular season is isn't as important anymore. And the push to Hey, there's good. I like it when there's good teams that don't make the playoffs. That makes it, it yeah. puts the playoffs on a, a pedestal. It puts it up. It makes it special when your team does make it. Um, so I think they let more in. I think it takes away from that. Then it's just like, I mean, I'm going to say this in, you know, it doesn't happen to us meth fans often, but it's like, oh, well, you know, they could sleepwalk to the playoffs. So come wake me up in <laughs> October. Like, it probably wouldn't happen to the Mets even if they expended the playoffs. But uh, I don't want that feeling. I want to be glued in all season long saying hey we got to win some games these games matter i'm with you i'm with you so what's your prediction for this team uh, assuming it's a normal playoff format assuming they don't change the rules i'm worried that they are they may by the time people are listening to this maybe they have but to the guys that it's a normal playoff format you think they make the playoffs run i i I do. Uh, I do. I think because of the lineup. I think such they, a homer. No, I do. I, I really, I really do. I'm not. I don't think the Nationals are right. for the division. I don't think the Nationals be as good as. I mean, they were towards the playoffs. I mean, they weren't. I don't think they were a great team all season long. Um, I'm still not sold on the Phillies, and I think the Braves just have. You know, I hate to look at like the COVID thing being an advantage to other teams. You know, because it's people's lives and it's something serious. But I think they have a lot going on. I mean, their announcers tested positive today, so I don't. You don't know what's going on down there and how the player's psyche is going to handle it. So I think the Braves have a lot going on where it could impact them on the field, which could work to other well, teams' advantage. The thing about Atlanta and Atlanta, they're very underrated because they've won the division the last two years. They don't seem to get that same respect. They have a tremendous lineup. I like their bullpen. Issues in their rotation after Soroka. I mean, Fulton Nevich, I think, was topping out at 89. Uh, Cole Hamels, can he be healthy? You know, we know Felix Hernandez already opted out. I don't love their rotation. Phillies, I think the Phillies have a chance to be really good. They, they really do. And I think that the change in the managerial office is going to make a big difference. I don't know how you guys feel. I think the Nationals are going to have a bad year. I think they're ripe for a bad year. They're coming off a championship. They lost key players. Let's not forget. I mean, their best offensive player, Anthony Rendon, isn't there. They've had a lot of opt-outs. Now, you may, may say it's not huge. Ryan Zimmerman matters. Joe Ross matters. These guys matter. And they didn't have a good bullpen last year. I mean, we, we, they, they, they had a worse bullpen in the Mets during the regular season. And then I thought Dave Martinez did a brilliant job in the playoffs. So the one positive, I guess, about the Mets that I have is I think that the Nationals are going to be lousy. I made those predictions last night. I had the Mets making the playoffs in a tie for the second wild card spot because people are forgetting this. There are going to be a lot of freaking ties. There's only 60 games in the season. We've had tiebreaker games after a 162. You don't think there's going to be a bunch of ties with a 60-game season? So I have the Mets kind of in that second wild card spot area too. Now, it was pre-Stroman, but hey, why not? A little bit of optimism. What about you, Phil? I mean, I think everyone in the division is pretty much 
you know, what happens mostly every year, they're going to beat up on each other all year long. And I think it's going to come down to who gets hot and when they get hot. You know, if, if the Mets catch fire at the end of the year, they could, you know, kind of pull away from the pack. But I ultimately think that they're going to, I think their number is what, 32 and a half, I think, is wins. I think they're going to kind of kind of land right on that number and kind of fall somewhere in the 33 to, you know, maybe 35, 36 range. And I think that'll be enough to, to get them into the postseason. I told you guys this, and I said this to JJ in the uh, prediction podcast. I had this weird feeling about two weeks ago. I had a dream that the Mets and the Yankees are going to play in the World Series. Now, I think a part of why that thought has kind of crept into my mind, it's easy with the Yankees. They're the best team in the American League. That's not going out on a limb. But I think just everything we've gone through, that to top it all off with a Met-Yankee World Series, 20-year anniversary of the Subway World Series, and then the fact that none of us Who's would be able to now? go. Like, here we would have <laughs> we'd have this epic, you believe it, the Mets against the Yankees, and we go to the games. Yeah. <laughs> this is where. And, and you're, conveniently, you're conveniently leaving out the part where you pick the Yankees in the, to win. Why wouldn't I? I mean, seriously, based on the history and based on their roster, why the hell would I not pick the New York Yankees? Yeah. I you mean, guys picture a world on, in man. which the Mets beat the Yankees in the world. No, I can't. I mean, Seriously. this is the first year. No, because I'll be dead when that happens. <laughs> this is the first time, first year in a long time where probably the last couple of years you asked the same question. We're like, hey, if the Mets just got to get to the playoffs and they're, they're rotational, pitching wins in October, this team is not, like you said earlier, it's not built like that. So I'm more confident probably with them making the playoffs than making a run through the playoffs because historically – like we said, pitching wins in the playoffs. Pitching wins in October or November, whenever it's going to be this year. But uh, the Mets, if Stroman's still out, Syndergaard's out, I mean, DeGrom's going to have to go every third day. He's going to have to do CC back in uh, whenever that was. No, it, it sucks. And I know that when we did the off-season podcast, we talked about Wheeler and how much he got paid. And I think he got overpaid. Don't get me wrong. But it would have been so nice just to keep as much of the band together as you could have. And you know, I don't know what's going to happen with Syndergaard. We don't know who's going to own the team, what the finances are going to look like, and really what Noah would even get in the open market coming off Tommy John surgery and pitching half a year. But it does kind of suck that as we enter this season, only two guys left from the big five pitching this season. Two. It's Jacob DeGrom and it's Steven Matz, and I think most of us kind of look at Matz as – He's a 500 pitcher. He's a back of the rotation even, guy. Even he's though, a lefty, so you never know. Even though reports on Mats analytically have been have been up this summer camp, so I don't know. Hey, maybe I mean, put it maybe the Hefner uh, effect uh, or whatever. But apparently, he's his mile per hour is up a couple ticks. He's topping hey. out higher. His curveball's got better spin oh. rate. That's, that's all I'm saying is oh. that you never know. Mats could surprise some people this this year. Hey. Let him become Cliff Lee, what Cliff Lee became in the middle of his career. Let that happen. All right, fellas, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. That's any final words? Actually, yeah, I do quick. I, you mentioned ownership of the team, and I know we'll talk about it at a later time when there's actually something to discuss. I just want to say, can we end this charade with A-Rod going around, like taking up a collection in the neighborhood <laughs> to see who can scrape together money to buy the team? Sell the team to Steve oh. Cohen. Let him come in here with all his money and take us to the promised land. You know what could happen with A-Rod? And I don't know how I view this because I've got to kind of formulate my brain. And it's been, I think Thornton McHenry wrote about this. He may end up like Jeter. Jeter is not the, the majority guy. You know, he's the CEO. He's got a contract. They could get rid of him. That may end up happening with A-Rod he's where a guy face. like Vinny Viola or Mike Rapoli ends up being really the money guy. 
And so A-Rod, yeah, it's the A-Rod group, but it's different than the way it's built now. All that said, me, Stevie Cohen. We already lost out on Mookie Betts. Mookie couldn't wait for Stevie Cohen's beautiful money. He decided to stay in L.A., which is amazing. Baseball's going broke, and then the Dodgers are giving him $380 million. But it's okay, because after the 2021 season, there are so many freaking good free agents. So hopefully there'll be a billionaire owner that's ready to buy all those guys. But you know what? I'll leave you with this. More important than buying free agents, it's keeping your own guys. That's really the important thing. So, Michael Conforto is going to be a free agent soon. We mentioned Syndergaard. We just talked about what happened with Zach Wheeler. Yeah, you'd love to add the, the beautiful toys. You want to be able to keep your guys. It's going to kill us if Zach Wheeler is great in Philadelphia. It is. It's going to bother yep. us. We invested so much time in him, you know? Yep. Whatever. Anyhow, happy opening day. Thanks for doing it. Fantasy Phil Ragusa. Ragusa? Raguso? Yes, Ragusa. Ragusa. Adam Eaton, Ryan McGee. This is the Mets uh, text chain that I sometimes mention. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Evan Roberts podcast.